Good morning, Redeemer Church and friends. If you will, please turn with me to John chapter 2. We are going to be in a special series for this season of social distance. Uh, What I want to do is I want to, to look at the signs of Jesus in the book of John, because John tells us that those signs that he recorded, the first one being in John 2, are there to help us believe and give us life. And so this series is called Faith in a Fearful World, and and, um, the Lord, I trust, is going to give us what we need in this moment through these passages. Let's go to Him and ask Him to help us. Oh God, You know our need. You know our fearfulness. You know my fearfulness right now. We need faith. So would you speak? Lord, I feel like this sermon is a stack of wet wood. And I want it to burn, and I can't make it burn. And so we pray that you would do for us what you did before. You would take fire from the altar in heaven and put it on the offering of this preaching that it may light. Oh God, we pray that we would hear your voice in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 2, be reading verses 1 through 12. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the water, the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his, and his brothers and his disciples. 
and they stayed there a few days. Beloved, this morning I, I want to see more in this passage than some idea that Jesus is capable of doing really neat party tricks. Uh, we've been told at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 30, that He is writing down these signs. This one's the first one. So that we might believe and live. And what I, I think that means is if we will have life in a world that we are recognizing is filled with death, then we need to understand wine out of water. We need to understand what is at stake in this wedding and what it has to do, in Jesus' words, with Him. I want to look with you at the sign and its significance. First of all, the sign. Our story, according to John, is showing that this man, Jesus, is capable of doing what only the Son of God is capable of doing, what no other man is capable of doing, and Jesus' mother knew it. You see that in verses 1 through 5 at this wedding. Now, I've already heard from some friends that in this coronavirus world that weddings are becoming far simpler. And that's probably a good thing. And yet, I'm also hearing that brides and grooms are experiencing a decrease in joy that they were expecting from their wedding. We are accustomed in, in, in weddings in our day to, to be extravagant in expense. And that's not all that far off from weddings in Jesus' day. Then there would have been this week-long party where the bride and the groom would invite the entire village and, and their family to come from afar and stay for the week. And this would all be done at the expense of the groom. So when the mother of Jesus in verse 3 turns to Jesus and says, there is no wine, you, you need to understand what she's communicating to Jesus. She is saying, basically the groom has committed the worst of party fouls. In, in, in Jesus' day, if you have a wedding without any wine, it, it would be almost like you're sitting at a wedding today and you're hearing the vows that were being exchanged by, by the bride and the groom and you know them so well that you can tell they're not being sincere. A wedding without wine is like a wedding without any kind of love and genuine and truth commitment. What, what Mary is communicating to her son is this is a sad failure. This is a tragedy. This is not the way weddings are supposed to be. What she's also communicating to us is that she knows what everyone else at the wedding does not know, and that is my son can turn this around. And yet, notice what Jesus says. He says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? This issue of no wine at a wedding 
My hour has not yet come. I've come to do a work, and it's not exactly that work. And yet the whole rest of the story does communicate something to us about the hour that he came for. He uses this opportunity to tell us what wine at a wedding, and specifically no wine at a wedding, has to do with him and and his mother seems to even understand this because after he says what he says in verse 4 she does not hear him say i'm not going to do anything she turns to the servants in verse 5 and says do whatever he says he's going to do it what i want you to see next in verses 6 through 11 is what the wedding guests experienced what the wedding guests experience i want you to especially pay attention to the master of the feast if you're familiar with that that um that movie father of the bride this is frank okay this is this is a wedding planner the master of the feast is one who's been been working with the mary uh, the, the couple who's going to get married about all the details and making sure the wedding goes that week just as planned and and there's something that the master of the feast does not witness He did not witness what was happening in verses 6 through 9. Notice that the servants are doing something that the master of the feast did not know. Verses 6 through 8, Jesus tells them to go fill up these jars with water. And they fill these jars up to the brim. And then he says to them, draw out the water and give it to the master of the feast, in verse 8, there are brimfuls of water that are then offered to this person who is desperately searching for wine. The servants bring him water. Verse 9 is very clear that this man brings to his mouth Jesus' water and he tastes wine. And he doesn't understand. He does understand some things. He he, he does understand, verse 10, what is the habit of everyone else in the world. This is an experienced uh, master of the feast. This is someone who has a lot of experience planning and, and, and carrying out weddings. And he's been through this kind of thing before. He knows what kind of pattern you go through in a wedding. Everyone else in the world does this, but the wedding they have experienced here is very different than what the world offers. Just think about what our world offers. Think about what our superstores can offer. Shelves are empty at superstores. This week, someone told me that uh, you could you could actually find toilet paper at Walmart, and I stopped what I was doing, and I got up and I went to Walmart immediately, and I got to that aisle, and I found toilet paper. But let me tell you, it was not Charmin. All they had, all they allowed me to take was one four-pack, I think it's half-ply, uh, toilet paper. It, you know, on the toilet paper it says if you buy 
Charmin. These 12 rolls are like 128 rolls of regular toilet paper. This one said that these four rolls are like one roll or something. It was terrible toilet paper. And every groom that this wedding planner has worked with, he says they start with the good wine. They bring that out of the cellar. And then after all the people are impressed, maybe after they're feeling a little tipsy, then they go to the fridge, right? And they get the boxed wine. That's what everyone in the world does. Even the most generous in the world, even the most extravagant in the world. The, the master of the feast is making this point that they are cheap and they are cheats. They're, 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 they're not really giving the best. It doesn't get better and better. And they're going to cheat you in the end. They want to be seen as better than they really are. That is everyone else he knows. We do not understand what John is communicating through this story unless we understand the shock that the master is experiencing. Verse 3, there is no wine and now there's this overwhelming quantity. The wine barrels that Jesus creates are make for almost nearly 200 gallons of wine. Verse 7, look at the command that Jesus gives. He's not like every other groom who wants to appear more generous. He says, fill them to the top, and then they fill them to the brim. In other words, he's communicating that this kind of wine will not end. This kind of wine will not run out. But not only does it have overwhelming quantity, it also has outstanding quality. The master of the feast doesn't know where the wine came from, but he, he recognizes this wine will not empty and it will not disappoint. What we're seeing in this story is a turn. What the guests experience is a turn. It is a turn of emotion in the turn of the drink. It is a turn of degree of what they're feeling in the turn of what kind of drink is given. This master of the feast goes from being a failure, just a, a zero to all of a sudden this hero, as if he planned all of this. It was, he, he goes from being totally sad to all of a sudden overwhelmingly glad. I, I try to imagine what kind of turn this would be. Because if you don't understand the turn, you will not understand what kind of Savior God has given to this world. John writes the signs that we would believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ and the Son of God, and that in believing Him we would have life. If we don't understand the turn, He pulled up water, and he tasted wine. I, maybe you can imagine your stressful table in your house that is just piled up with receipts, piled up with records because it's tax season. If you're not awed, then you probably hate this task. You look at that table and you get so stressed out. You want to, you keep putting it off, but then the deadline is coming. You just want it gone. And then finally you realize I've got to do this. Now I've got more time, but I'm miserable. And in my misery, I reach out for that first form. And then in my hands, it turns to Charmin. Something I hate 
turns into something that is precious. It just turns and transforms in my hand. And the master doesn't understand something. Look back in in verse 9. He says, where did this come from? We're told the servants know. That wine that you drank was water. I put the water in there. And now it's wine. They get the trick. This is an impossible turn. What was became something it was not. Verse 11, the disciples, those who believe in Jesus, they... They don't just get the trick, they get the point. Notice it says that what they experience here is glory. Glory. The glory of God is manifested. It's it's appearing in this moment that water became wine. They understand what the master didn't understand. How did Water become wine. They understand that this kind of becoming could only come from one. Glory. The glorious one. Only He can, only He can wind down water. We know perfectly well how to water down wine. No one can wind down water. No one but God can turn water to wine. And so John is telling us, Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? Okay, I'll show you what it has to do with me. I am the only one who can do what only God can do. And there is something in this truth that Jesus' wine is not impaired by the By the vineyards of this world, there is something in that truth that we are to believe if we are to understand. This is what John is communicating. This is what I think is so helpful for us today. If you're going to understand what kind of salvation you need and what kind of salvation, what kind of Savior God has given, you need to understand wine out of water. The sign. Let's think about, secondly, the significance. What is the significance? A lot of water, a lot of wine. Some stranger's wedding. You might be wondering, like Jesus was wondering, what does this have to do with me? I doubt you feel like you're living a party. Trump told you not to go to no parties. Don't go to any parties. I think in this moment where life ain't no party can help us get in to the truth that John is preaching, that God is preaching, this first sign is preaching about the Savior God has given and what true salvation is. And I'm just going to give it to you. And then I'm going to explain it. Here's what he's saying. Only Jesus can turn our sadness into 
gladness. Now, where do I get that? Is that really what this wedding is, is about? Well, the first thing we have to consider is what is it that wine means? And wine has a meaning in God's Word. Psalm 4. You, God, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine abounds. Psalm 104. Wine gladdens the heart man. In the Bible, wine is joy juice. That's what Mary's feeling. That's why she thinks this is such a big problem and goes to the only person who can help. The only person she knows can do something about this. It's, she knows what the rabbis used to say, what all the people at the wedding would have been feeling. That is this, without wine there is no joy. Here's the point. If you can't even find joy at a wedding, what is wrong with this? There is something wrong with this world. And you can only see that kind of truth at a wedding with no wine. And so Jesus does something about it to show us that there is only one who can fix what is wrong with this world. See, no wine, this is also true in God's Word, I'll show you. No wine represents to God's people an absence of God's favor. But more than that, no wine is a picture that means something to God's people. And that is, it's not just an absence of God's favor, it is the presence of God's judgment. Isaiah Put it this way. Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah is describing God judging His own people because they have sinned against Him. And this is how Isaiah says it in Isaiah 24. They don't drink wine anymore. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. They can't have any party. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. This is God's judgment. The gladness of the earth is banished and desolation is left in the city and the gates are battered into ruins. God's judgment is pictured by not having any wine. The amazing thing is that Isaiah promises a turn in the very next chapter, a turn from God judging. The prophet prophesies God is going to save. And the way that he describes it is no wine to wine. Isaiah 25 says, When the Lord comes to His people, He will give to them a feast of well-aged wine. And He will then, when He comes, 
Swallow up the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Then when he comes, when the Savior comes, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken a turn. You've got to see the turn. The turn is everything. He's not just talking about joy. It is not just that Jesus can offer you joy. He can offer you a special kind of joy that is a turn. A joy of salvation out of deserving the misery of judgment. It is a turn from the gloom of death to life. Tears wiped away, reproach and shame taken away. The promise that Jesus enters the world to fulfill is that when God comes to save his sad people, he will turn it around. This is a world that is a hotel run by Tenadier. You know Les Mis? Tenadier is that crook hotel manager who cheats everyone. They come to his establishment and they order wine and he pours water into the wine. This is a watered down world. Every, I hope you can see this. Every hope we have in this world disappoints us. We had plans for spring 2020. What in this? I want you to see the wedding. With no wine. And know that every joy this world gives to us, real joy is a cocktail. It is mixed. Every joy is mixed with sadness. So we get in this season much more time with family, which is joyful, and more time with family, more time to see our selfishness, more time to hurt one another. What does this have to do with me, woman? The picture of the physical tells the truth about the spiritual. Wine here is pointing to joy and sickness. Friends, points to sin. Why do we have a deadly virus? It's the same reason we have death. All we've ever known is death. But that doesn't mean all the world has ever known is death. There was a time when the world did not have death. God says it came. There was a turn. Death and everything that leads to it, according to God, comes from sin. That's in the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament. Death and sickness are God's righteous judgment on a sinful world. And yet, God promises to save some from the judgment they deserve. And he says that the signal that my Savior is coming is he will turn no wine. 
into a feast of aged wine. A feast, a quantity of aged quality wine. One of my favorite words, and, and this that has become one of my favorite stories, is a word that we see in verse 9. It's the word become. The master of the feast tasted the water. He tasted the water. Now become wine. I said, who does Become is a gospel word. Become speaks about turns that are impossible, too good to be true. The gospel is too good to be true. You don't believe it's true until you feel it's too good to be true because you feel how bad you deserve, what you deserve from God. Become is a gospel word about the turns that are impossible for everyone else, but not impossible for the Savior. How can endless sadness that our sin brings to us. You have sinned. I have sinned. We deserve misery. We've ignored God. We've not loved God. We've not trusted God. We deserve misery. Endless sadness. How can that become the impossible? It's like the, the master of the wedding is asking you and is asking me, where, where can brimless gladness come from? It came. The Word became flesh. Jesus died. The eternal God became human. So that the righteous Son of God became the sacrificial Lamb of God. He became the sinless one who deserves only the love and reward of God becomes a substitute for sinners. And the recipient of all of our sadness, on the cross, he's not experiencing a disease that makes him suffer a few days. He's not, it's not even the excruciating pain of that cross for a few hours that he's experiencing. He's experiencing endless sadness. 
endless sadness and the eternal anger that we would never stop bearing if we paid for it on our own so that those who believe in him might experience the impossible a turn his hour of death becomes our life become wine out of water Do you want joy? This first sign is all about the question, do you want a gladness that sad circumstances cannot steal from you? Can you right now recognize that you have looked for wine from this world and all it gives us is water? Happiness goes away. And it doesn't taste like anything. What will this sadness? No one is immune from sadness. You don't have to be a believer to be sad. What will this sadness become? Isolation from people you love. Isolation from encouragement you need. The fear of suffering. And then life ending. You have eyes to see sadness of sin that you hate. It's in you that now is being brought to the surface. You can't deny it. What will this sadness become? Sadness is a turn signal. This is Bible. Sadness is a turn signal. Like the one in your car that signals a turn is coming. Sadness is biblically a turn signal. And, it, and it's a turn signal for everyone. No one avoids this sadness at times in life. And it is a signal to us, to every one of us, that Jesus is bringing a turn to every one of us. If you are listening to the sermon after going through the devotional guide that I've given, you've read Revelation 19, and I hope you're realizing that John, the author of this gospel, wrote again about a wedding and about wine, about a turn for everyone. There is a turn for everyone who does not believe in Jesus. When he returns, they will then be able to, like the master of the feast, evaluate what they tasted before and what they're tasting now. And however bad it was in your life, it will be gladness and it will turn into sadness. This is deadly serious. Revelation 19, 
Jesus will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. What the promise of turn is, is that Jesus is going to turn people in. He's going to stomp them like grapes in his fury. If you will not recognize the blood of Jesus now, he will make your blood flow in his wrath. There is a turn. Now, I want to plead with you that that does not have to be your your destiny. You need to turn. You need to turn from belittling Jesus with your life. You need to turn and see him in his glory and treat him as glorious and turn from your sin and turn from the wine of this world and look to him alone to satisfy you and follow him as the Lord. Because there is good news in Revelation 19. There is a wedding with wine as well. There is a different kind of turn as well for all who believe in Jesus. Sadness is the signal that the gladness that only Jesus makes is coming. That's the sermon in a sentence. I've taken a while to announce it, but here it is. Sadness is the signal that the gladness that only Jesus makes is coming to those who believe in him. Sadness can be a signal for you that gladness is coming. There is a wedding where the joy is not going to run out, where our groom is going to serve a wine that is overwhelmingly more and overwhelmingly better than all that our sin stole away from us and better even than the good wine that Christians get to sip now and the joys of being a Christian. We're just sipping at the gladness that we are going to have our fill of when Christ returns and He brings us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm preaching today from John 2, 9 and 10 because I believe that this is another key passage for a coronavirus world if we will listen. There is a truth that this sign communicates to those who believe. And that is, your sadness will become something that seems at this point the sadness is real. And Jesus can do what no one else. What kind of Savior? has God given the world. He's a Savior who makes sinners become His own beloved spouse. Sadness needs to do something in you if you're a Christian. 
and it must not do something else. However heavy, however weighty, however real, however much you want to cry out in the streets that there is no gladness in the world and your whole life is desolate, your whole life feels ruined, that sadness must not take away the certainty that Jesus is bringing gladness. It must not because John 2 has just told us that sadness is the prerequisite It has to come first. Because our groom saves the best for last. Do you believe that you're now become is coming? Lord Jesus, You made wine, wine out of water. And we pray that you would make us believe what that means for us. That our sadness is the signal. That the gladness that only you can make is coming. Make us believe. We pray this in your name.